This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome, buds. You are listening to Short Shifts, a Keeping Carlson podcast. I am your host, Ben Burnett, joined by my pal and yours, Louis Ezekiel. Louis, we are back in the podcast saddle. How does it feel? I am just thrilled, especially to be working with Keeping Carlson. You know, we have been patrons for almost five years with these guys. Uh, just really exciting to be part of the team and have the opportunity to bring a couple extra podcasts per week into your feeds. Yeah, absolutely. I feel extremely fortunate to be able to do this Uh Honestly, Keeping Carlson was the very first fantasy hockey podcast that I listened to. We've been friends with Brian and Elon forever now. It feels like we've been part of their patron-only Facebook group for years. That's how you and I met. So kind of feels like we're just keeping it all in the family. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm just so excited to get started and uh, to have the chance to work with all of the fine uh, listeners of the show. Absolutely. So our plan with this show, because Keeping Carlson, Brian and Elon are going to continue to be putting out a mega podcast every single Sunday night where they go around the league and give you a comprehensive deep dive into players from every single team. We are going to do something a little similar, but the idea is to try and just do a bi-weekly check-in. We're going to come to you Wednesday and Friday mornings with new episodes, and our format is going to be kind of like we'll do a headline segment, and then we'll get into something a little bit more fun, a little bit more, you know, uh, list-oriented, things like that. So tonight we're hoping is just kind of a preview of what you're going to be used to hearing when it comes to Ben and Lewis's short shifts. Sounds great. Let's get right into it. Awesome. So in our first headline section, obviously, we have to start with a couple of injuries that are looking to be somewhat longer term. I'm talking about Mitch Marner and Sidney Crosby. Uh, Marner, it's been revealed, is out for about four weeks with an ankle injury. He fell awkwardly in a game over the weekend. Crosby's injury does not necessarily have a timeline on it yet, although I've seen a few people speculate that it could be at least four weeks. I've seen some people worried that it could last the season, just depending on what part of the body uh, ends up getting hurt. It kind of looks like it happened when he fell awkwardly on his, on a check from Eric Gustafson. And then he later that same shift took a uh, blocked the shot with an ankle courtesy of Eric Gustafson once again. So, I mean, if we can be mad about anybody when it comes to this injury, I would say it's got to be Eric Gustafson, uh, as if fantasy owners didn't have enough reasons to be upset with him. But, Lewis, what do we think the fallout is here when it comes to uh, – let's start with the the Crosby injury first. What's the fallout for Pittsburgh? 
So obviously it's they're gonna take a hit. You can't lose a guy like Crosby and not have it be damaging overall to your effectiveness of your offense. Uh, we've already seen Pittsburgh go down uh, in overtime as we are recording. Obviously gonna be problematic for them, especially on that power play. So right now it looks like Jared McCann is going to be attempting to fill Crosby's skates. Uh, this is a guy we've actually talked about uh, previously this season. Uh, do you think he McCann or McCann fill in for Crosby here? I mean, there's a big difference between filling in for Crosby and replacing Crosby's production, of course. Uh, I'm definitely a little bit heartened by McCann to see that his advanced stats have been so good. So his expected goals for percentage is 65%. He leads the Penguins at that mark. That's really high. Um, I think that top line could be fine, but when it comes to five, you're definitely hoping for a little bit more from a Jake Gensel who's used to skating with Crosby. He goes pointless tonight. Uh, I'm not going to panic too much, but overall, my expectations for those Gensel shares have dropped just a bit. And the reports that I've seen are not particularly heartening. I'm a, I'm moderately worried when it comes to Crosby. I wouldn't I would not tell people to stop from trading him if I was given, you know, a fair market value trade for Crosby. I think the injury concern would be enough for me to jump off. But overall, I think someone like Gensel should still be good for, you know, 65, 70 points, just probably isn't pushing for the 80 plus point pace while his usual centerman is out. Does that drive with you? We hold Gensel in our podcast league on fan tracks and certainly disappointing to see Crosby go out this way because uh, he's, you know, someone that we rely on to, to be feeding Gensel and getting him those points that he wants. McCann, I think, is pretty interesting. He's had some nice recent production, uh, getting the opportunity to play with some skilled players. His line with Malkin and Russ produced three goals in just over four minutes of ice time last Thursday against the Islanders. Uh, and Saturday against the Hawks, he picked up an assist with Gensel and Malkin as well. So it's definitely a guy who can produce with skilled teammates. Um, but I think swapping uh, Malkin out for Galchenyuk on his wing there uh, is going to be a bit of a downgrade as he's filling in for Crosby. But that Malkin line is likely to be matched up against the tougher defenders moving forward. So I, you know, I think that McCann can be successful in this position. It might just not be you know, the averaging a couple points a game that he's done the last uh, few games here with those high quality line mates now that he's going to be the one expected to drive the offense and do some of that dishing. Uh, I definitely don't love Bugstad on power play one for Pittsburgh uh, when that could be McCann, but hard to complain since he managed to uh, get a power play point today. So you like to see that. He's got a strong floor with a couple shots and hits per game most nights. Uh, and I like him while playing on this line in Pittsburgh. Moving on to uh, Mitch Marner in Toronto. It looks like he's out for four weeks. And so, Lewis, how do we see these Leafs lines shaking out while Marner is hurt? So even as Marner was uh, on his way out, they've got Zach Hyman back. So basically, he's just slotting back into that position. The Leafs line 1A is Hyman, Tavares, and Kapanen, while Line 1B is Janssen, Matthews, and Nylander remaining essentially unchanged. Uh, I think, again, this is a spot where it hurts the power play overall. 
but it is, as Brian and Elon discussed, a good opportunity uh, for Nylander, who gets to move above that 55-60 point cap, uh, to having the option to uh, do a little bit better while he's got that power play one time. Yeah, I'm excited for my boy, Willie Nylander, who you know has all of the swag in that Maple Leafs top six, and now he gets to match that with a little bit of a point upside. So I'm happy for Nylander. I don't think there's really that much to say, though. Like you said, Marner's out. I'm sure that that makes... Kasperi Kapanen somewhat less interesting. John Tavares, I think, should overall be fine. And yeah, it's just a bit of a downgrade, you know, kind of like with Crosby. It's just a bit of a downgrade to the overall ceiling of the the top six and the top power play. Absolutely. Uh, How about another big power play change? Uh, Having to deal in Boston with Tori Krug's injury. We've got a couple kind of options to see maybe come into that spot between uh, Grizzlick and Charlie McAvoy. What do you see for the future of the Boston power play on the blue line? Well, we've seen this happen before, and everybody rushes. They the, We see the Charlie McAvoy season tweets. Everybody thinks this is it. Our boy Charlie finally getting his chance to run with it. You know, the Tory Krug uh, contract expiring this year certainly helps fuel those rumors. But yeah, we haven't seen Charlie McAvoy actually get an opportunity to run with that top power play usage. So... I will say if Charlie McAvoy doesn't get top power play now, can we all agree to stop trying to make Charlie McAvoy happen? You know, Tory Krug gets hurt a lot and people freak out every single time. But just like Colton Pareko in St. Louis or Aaron Eckblad in Florida, at some point we need to read the tea leaves and just say it is not going to happen. Do you agree? Yeah, I mean, we hear all about how this is kind of the defensive future in Boston, but the coaches just are not willing at this point to put him on that top power play and see what he can do. Uh, so I wrote in the notes right away when I heard about this, watch out for Grizzlick because we might see him grab that spot. And sure enough, he did. Uh, this is just what we saw uh, when Krug was injured to start last year. I think that if you are looking for someone who is going to get access to that top power play in Boston, which obviously is excellent. It's a good opportunity, but I don't want people to get their hopes up. This is not like picking up Tory Krug or really even like picking up Tory Krug light. Uh, Grizzlick was fantasy relevant during the period last year when Krug was injured. He only factored into three of the seven power play goals scored by Boston while he was on the ice during the 11 games Krug was out to start 2018 and only managed six shots during that time. He was coming off an injury of his own to start the year, but a half point per game when you're on that Bruins power play one isn't super exciting. He ended up with five points during uh, the 11 game absence for Krug. Uh, All assists, three of them on the power play, but McAvoy had six even strength points during that same time period. Grizzlick has good possession metrics this year at even strength. He's at about 52.3% Corsi 4, but his shot rates are low at about one a game, and his IPP is just dreadful. He's been sub 30% all three years uh, of his career so far, but he's at just 22% this year. So again, if you want to grab someone who's going to have access to that top power play and you know might get a touch that Pasternak uh, buries and can pick up an assist, uh, Grizzlick's a fine option, but don't get your hopes up thinking that you are uh, slotting in Tory Krug light here. Yeah, uh, it's sort of the same as Crosby and Marner going out where it, it may just lower the overall ceiling. But I think that it kind of just gives you a high upside play. 
at certain points, right? Because that power play is going to get going in some games. And Matt Grizzlick is likely to factor into some points if Tory Krug winds up missing a ton of time. So I don't mind him in a speculative way. Uh, I'm not going way out of my way to add him in leagues where I'm I'm stacked at defense. Uh, Lewis, we have one more story that we want to get to in our headline section, and that is to talk about everybody's favorite goaltender in Ottawa, Anders Nielsen. What happened with Anders Nielsen on Monday I mean, night, it Lewis? It seems to me like it was just a brutal and sudden regression to the mean, right? Uh, he gave up four shot, four goals on 19 shots versus Carolina before he ceded the net to Anderson. Uh, Carolina was not done. They lit Anderson up for four goals as well. It uh, seemed like they were maybe out to get revenge after a disappointing loss during their last meeting. But I think it's safe to say that Anders Nilsson hasn't suddenly turned into vintage Lundqvist. Uh, I think this helps average out uh, some of the unsustainable numbers that he was putting together uh, during his last couple starts. So it was exciting to see him performing so well, but he has certainly uh, come back to earth in a major way. Yeah, I'm starting to think that Brian and Elon had to sign up so that they could make, you know, bold claims like everybody go at Anders Nilsson. And then the next faces that everybody sees when they're angry are you and me, the scrubs out to clean up and take all the bad press for a bad call. But <laughs> having said that, I did play Anders Nilsson in a few leagues, independent of Brian's advice, and I am paying for it, trying to get those right stats back Listen, up. Like Michael Scott and the burning saber printers, I'm happy to go out there and uh, be the face of the scandal, take a hit for our partners in crime here at Keeping Carlson. Uh, and, you know, I don't think it's any I don't think it's any big thing to talk about Nilsson returning to a more standard Ottawa goalie as opposed to the Herculean effort he'd been putting up uh, for the last few games. Absolutely. Lewis, we're going to move on. And what we're going to do next I want to kind of preview a segment that we're going to be doing, and it's going to be a regular segment on Thursdays. We're calling it the Patron Five. And so one of the perks of being a patron of Keeping Carlson is that you get to join the patron-only Facebook group. It is by far my favorite place to discuss fantasy hockey. Uh, so starting this Thursday, we'll be starting the Patron Five. And what we're doing is we're letting the patrons choose five players that we will discuss every single week. Tonight, we wanted to do a little bit of a preview to kind of get the patrons ready for what's going on and to allow our listeners to see. So we're doing a patron three. It's a condensed version of what's going to be a weekly segment every Thursday. Uh, we put the call out to to keeping Carlson patrons, we said if these are players that Brian and Elon weren't able to get to in the Sunday episode, or if something big has happened since and they want to they want to dig it a little bit deeper. So here are the players that wound up getting discussed. We are going to start in Detroit, Lewis, your hometown Detroit Red Wings, featuring Robbie Fabry, who was traded to the Wings last week for Jacob Delarose, and he immediately surprised fantasy owners with a two-power play goal performance in his first game in the red and white. Uh, he added another assist in his second game with the squad. Lewis, are you buying what Robbie Fabry right, is selling? So before we talk about the fantasy implications, I just want to say I love this deal. Thank you, Stevie Y. Uh, I'm into it. I like the idea of being a spot where some of these former first round picks can have the opportunity to uh, start their reclamation project. Go get some more of these wasted first rounders on the cheap pool party still out there. We've got Josh Hosang floating around, not doing much of anything. You know, go check out and see what these guys can do. Pull you, Jarvie. 
Unfortunately for you, Lewis, I have to tell you that uh, Jesse Pugliarvi has been earmarked for the Rangers. So, you know, do whatever you want with the other ones. But Jesse P is coming to NYC, my bud. All right, well, we'll have to see how it all turns out. As for Fabry, you know, his even strength line, I feel like, isn't great. Philpola as the center, I don't love. I think playing with Andreas Athanasiu is pretty interesting. But the Wings PP obviously needs juice, so it's nice to see him come in and be able to provide right away. I do get the sense that this is a little bit of that, you know, instant results that we sometimes get when you see a trade like this or when a player comes back from an absence. Uh, so I'm not rushing out to add him. Uh, he went for more than $10 in several cupful divisions on the strength of that first game's power play action. I think I'm more interested in taking a wait-and-see approach. Uh, he may very well be back in free agency from some of those teams within a couple weeks. Uh, and then if he starts to heat up again, I think you can get him on the cheap as opposed to uh, this expensive first uh, sticker shot kind of price. I do hope he can get his career back in track in Detroit. He's a player I've always uh, been interested in. So I'm happy to see him with the winged wheel on his chest. Yeah, I mean, I get it. Like spending money on Robbie Fabry, where else are you going to spend that cash? Uh, it's possible that this is the trade he needs. I've kind of been a doubter for a, a little while based on the severity of his injuries, both on the same knee. You hate to see that. So Robbie Fabry, a player I am absolutely cheering for, but I'm not necessarily investing a ton as far as fantasy or fab bucks go. Lewis, we're going to move on to the second player picked by our patrons to discuss. And that player is in Philadelphia, Philippe Myers. So this 22-year-old right shot defenseman has been turning heads in fantasy circles by scoring in his last three consecutive games last week. Uh, Myers was originally undrafted. He signed with the Flyers in 2015, played 21 games last year when he racked up two points in 21 games to go along with a decent shot rate, a great hits rate, and not much else. It's a time for fantasy owners to be adding Philippe Myers well, Lewis. Long term fans of the show will, of course, know that uh, Brian is famous for his wet blanketness. And I actually didn't expect to find myself in this position. I'm a big fan of blowing your fab and picking up players uh, who can give you some strong marginal value, you know, from this point forward. But I'm just not buying a defenseman shooting 30%. He's coming in at under two shots a game. He's getting a couple hits and a block per game, which is nice. But there are more interesting defensemen out there uh, who are going to give you a stronger floor of peripherals. promise you, Philippe Myers is not going to continue to score a goal per game. Uh, and he's just got so many talented defensemen in front of him who are sucking up those minutes. Certainly, Ivan Provorov. You have to imagine that. Uh, we'll see maybe a little bit of a rebound uh, from Shane Gustisbehere as well. Uh, so I think he, you know, is going to stick around his 17, 18 minutes per game. And I just don't see the scoring continue like it is. I would rather pick up an Eric Chernak uh, or maybe the next guy that we're going to discuss, who I think provides a much stronger floor of peripherals. Yeah. And without getting into that, I will just add that Dauber's Frozen Tools has added a prospect certainty and prospect upside tool. And Philippe Myers, they gave a prospect upside of 5.8 out of 10. Yeah. To translate, that means the prospect gurus over at Dauber who, you know, watch a ton of prospects who have legitimately well-versed and researched opinions 
think of Myers as a guy with an upside of about 40 to 45 points. So while I don't hate Myers as a streamer while he's running hot, I would like to see him get more power play time or to raise that block rate before I go absolutely crazy on him. So, you know, for now, I don't have any rosters where I'd be adding him, but if Gustus Bear continues to run cold and they go looking for other demon who can take up some of the power play time, I wouldn't be, you know, 100% opposed to snapping him up. Yeah, definitely keep an eye on those uh, the potential for those power play minutes. But certainly you got to figure a guy like Provorov is going to get the first crack at it when uh, it's seeded away from Gustus Bear. Uh, and, you know, those are two guys who I think they really want to get going. Uh, they're important parts of the team. Myers maybe too down the road, but... Yeah, I'm with you. You know, half point a game, uh, you can find that in a lot of defensemen. And if you can get someone who's maybe shooting a bit more or who can provide you with more hits and blocks if those count in your league, uh, I think that's a little bit more interesting. The last player on our patron three this week is going to be Radim Shimek, who Lewis mentioned may be an interesting ad. Uh, this 27-year-old defender didn't play an NHL game until last year, and he hasn't been particularly effective offensively. He's been playing an extra three minutes per night over over last year and as a result his banger rates have been excellent so through his first three games he's averaging four hits and over three blocks a night which makes him an incredibly useful player in bangers leagues lewis i'm wondering do we think these rates are sustainable i haven't seen enough of shimek certainly to know how sustainable these rates are but even if he loses a hit and a block per game this is a guy who's offering a very nice floor if you are the kind of person who likes to pick up a radko gudas late in drafts you know this guy is doing all of the things that gudas is not providing for you so far this year uh so unlike philip myers if you are in a points league that counts these peripheral stats or if you are in a bangers league where uh, you can flip some categories with a player of this caliber in terms of his peripheral production. If there's not a ton of scores available for you in your defenseman's free agency list, this is a guy who's going to provide you some reliable production. Again, even if those numbers start to fall, I think you're still looking at some really quality floor of production from Shimek. Yeah, I don't mind Shimek, especially what I would like is a categories league where, you know, hits are valued as much as goals blocks are valued as much as assists that's something where and i mean obviously not one-to-one but winning the category is worth one-to-one so for me i am actually taking a flyer on shimek in a few leagues i think that that four plus hit rate anytime i see that i want to jump on it so just like with radko gudash a few years ago when he popped into the league i'm willing to take the same gamble on radim shimek and see if it works out because if it does i think it could be a season-long hold and i am never against holding on to a guy who i know every single game will be adding a few totals to my stat line so here is a relevant comparable for us. We just took Chernak off of our IR after holding him there for a little while in our podcast league. Uh, it is a categories league and it does count those banger stats. Do you think we should swap Chernak out and add Shemek in? Is that a switch you would be willing to make? I think I would be willing to swap out Chernak for Shemek right now. We're definitely, I'm not definitely convinced that Shemek is going to hold up and give us the four the four hits and three plus blocks per game. But I am just very heartened to see that he's able to do that so far. Chernak has been very dependable on the back end, but I don't think that he's been dependable to the point where he's a must keep. So 
depending on how he finishes up the game tonight. And it's nice to see that he has added an assist. I hope that he can be somewhat productive offensively. I wouldn't be against streaming out Chernak for Shemek. Does that sound crazy to you? No, I mean, I think uh, if we can see some reliability in those peripherals over maybe a couple more games, uh, we keep an eye on him. I don't know how many people are rushing out to grab him in that league. Uh, so I think we might have be able to bide our time on it. And really cool that, yeah, he picked up an assist as we were sort of discussing this. And everyone loves to hear about games that uh, are already long done by the time they're listening to the podcast. Yeah, if there's one thing I've learned from listening to Elon podcast for years, it's that everyone wants to hear about games that are now over by the time they listen to it. For our final segment tonight, we are going to look into some interesting numbers, interesting trends going on around the league. To start, we wanted to look into some shot rates and how they've changed through just under a quarter of the season. So some players already 18, 19 games in have wildly different shot rates year over year. These are going to be some big name players. So we're not going to say, oh, drop this guy if they're down or, oh, just, you know, give up the world to add this guy to your team. But these are just some players who we've noticed some big changes in. And we're going to try and take a look at what's causing these changes and whether or not it's something that you should be worried about. Tonight, we're looking at shot rates and we're going to look at three players whose shot rates have dropped significantly from last year, starting with our number three player this week, John Tavares. Uh, last year, Tavares tied a career high with 286 shots, scoring a career high 47 goals as a result. So unfortunately, that shot rate is down significantly this year, as somehow Tavares is now pacing for 177 total shots. That's over 82 games, not just, you know, minus the seven that he missed earlier this season. He's barely averaging over two shots per game. My first thought is, hey, he's coming back from a hand injury. Maybe that's the culprit. But I looked and his shot rate has actually somehow been better since returning from the injury. So, you know, maybe better days are ahead. I don't want to just assume that because he started slow, it's going to be slow all season. But JT's even strength rates are a little lower, but what's dropped dramatically is his power play shot rate. So right now, of the five players on Toronto's top power play, you have Matthews, Marner, Riley, and Andreas Janssen. Tavares has the lowest shot rate per 60, even below Morgan Riley. And that's after being among the top shooters with Austin Matthews last year, far and away the top shooters on that top unit. He put up 70 shots each of the last two years on the power play. This year, he's on pace for 22 shots on the man advantage. Lewis, I'm wondering, is it time to downgrade expectations on John Tavares as a result of his shot rate declining this year? I definitely think it's concerning. And yeah, I think I'm ready to say that we'll probably see Tavares come in with reduced scoring overall. And especially if you're in a league that counts shots or that counts power play production, uh, I think this should be worrisome to you. So it's something to keep an eye on. Hopefully we can see him rebound a little bit. I don't think it's unfair at all to say that there should be some concern about Tavares' production up to this point so far in the season. And uh, definitely something that I would watch as we move forward. Like you said, we're working with a fairly small sample size and we're trying to project those rates over the course of a pretty long season. Uh, So just something to keep an eye on uh, and watch for him to maybe start pulling the trigger a little bit more on the power play. If he does not, uh, maybe that'll impact your thoughts on Tavares uh, as a possible pickup in future years. Yeah, I'm not necessarily worried about John Tavares, and it's been an actually pretty solid return from the injury with 12 shots over his next, his 
the four games since he's returned from the injury. He's scored twice already. So maybe I'm making a bit of a mountain out of here, but it was just so shocking to see his name. And I think that we'll learn a lot from watching him without Mitch Marner the next couple of weeks. I know that last year coming out of Marner's breakout season, a lot of people said that he was the reason for Tavares's 47 goal uh, outburst, but I've seen it both ways. And I, I think that seeing what Tavares can do without Marner will be interesting. We've seen him elevate mediocre linemates before in New York, but he hasn't had to do that in Toronto. So it'll be interesting to see how he performs with Hyman and Kapanen over the next few weeks. So another player that is really interesting who made our list is Victor Arvidsson. This is a guy who really is relevant because of the volume of his shots. He's put together a pair of 61-point seasons. He's never really been that elite point producer. Um, But since becoming a full-time player, he's never shot fewer than an average of three shots per game. He's barely hitting two shots per game this season. A big change at the start of the year was the breakup of the line featuring Arvidsson, Johansson, and Forsberg. Uh, That's a line that's been dominating offensively. It's outshot its opponents for years. Uh, And this year, a big issue for Arvidsson, in addition to his individual shot per 60 rate falling is that the Preds are putting up fewer than seven shots per 60 minutes when he's on the ice. Uh, This obviously is less than ideal. You know, we've seen him sort of bounce on and off that line uh, with Johansson and Forsberg, but when he's been split away from Forsberg, uh, it's certainly been uh, a struggle for him uh, to be as productive as he's been in years past when that pairing has been much more reliable. Absolutely. I've always loved the Jofa line. They've been one of my favorite to watch. And honestly, Forsberg has been on a tear since he's been back. So I was disappointed to see that Arvidsson was playing with Yarncroak in Tuesday night's game. Hopefully we can see them reunited and they can do something sweet with uh, with getting back together. But man, last year, I've, I've always been a huge fan of Arvidsson. Last year, he was just one of the top uh, shot producing forwards at even strength. And I thought that maybe if they reconfigured that top power play, they could give him some feeds on the power play where he was barely getting any looks at all. Instead, he's continuing to not get any looks at even strength and on the power play. So I'm hopeful this one turns around. But in shallow leagues, I'm honestly not against streaming Arvidsson out. Wow. Yeah, that's wild. You definitely uh, wouldn't have heard that in the last few years. So yeah, I think that there's a a valid complaint there about his production thus far. And and there may be those pieces on FA who are uh, interesting enough to, to stream them in. All right, Lewis, I have one more name. This is the number one on our concerning shot rate list. And I'm a little bit nervous about this because we are about to talk about our podcast's namesake. I guess it's good to get it out of the way, the Eric Carlson slander, because at the very least, we can know off the top if Brian and Elon will cancel our show. Um, But, you know, last year over 82 games, Eric Carlson paced for 261 shots, which would have been good enough for third among all defensemen if, you know, everybody played a perfectly healthy season this year he's pacing for 130 shots which is worse than half of last year's pace let me give you a little taste of some of the players above him on the shot pace list from defensemen he's behind johnny boychuk mark barbario and matt roy lewis can you tell me the teams that mark barbario and matt roy play for uh is matt roy on the kings he is and Mark Barbera, I feel like he's bounced around a fair amount. I think he maybe was in 
like Tampa for a while. I no idea. Where's Barbario these days? Barbario is now in Colorado where he's been playing for a little while. But yes, the point is that some no names are out shooting Eric Carlson. I kind of looked into these numbers and my fear was that he's losing power play time on ice, that they're splitting it more evenly between him and Burns. But he's at the same rate of power play minutes last year. And even though his power play shots per 60 numbers are down, that's not really the main culprit here. When it comes down to it is that at even strength, Eric Carlson is shooting at the lowest rate we've ever seen him produce, even before, even lower than his rookie season in Ottawa. So now luckily, Carlson has a pretty decent season last year while only scoring three goals. So maybe shots aren't the most important thing for Carlson's point totals. But for those of us in categories leagues, it's pretty disappointing to see EK65 go from absolutely dominating a category to being below replacement level. And so, Lewis, I ask, and I hope that the upper management of the Keepin Carlson Corporation don't listen to this. Is it time we worry about Eric Carlson? Yeah, plug your ears, Brian and Elon, because I am definitely worried about Eric Carlson. I have been a keeper of Carlson uh, for as long as I have been playing fantasy hockey in my keeper league with my buddies. A whole big part of the offseason story was that yeah, Carlson didn't score very much, but look at the paces he was putting together. This guy is going to be fine. He signs his big contract extension. It seems like he's going to be, you know, patrolling that blue line uh, along with Brent Burns for years to come, uh, continuing his productive ways. But to see that shot rate fall to the extent that it has, it has to have you worried. And yes, he can put up tons of assists. Uh, he can provide those helpers, especially on the power play. That, obviously, that's where the majority of his points has, you know, the vast majority of his points have come from uh, over the last several seasons. But like you say, in categories leagues or in points leagues where putting those shots together uh, will help you pad those total fantasy points even in games where he is not hitting the score sheet i think that becomes very concerning yeah i think maybe we've been a little bit spoiled with carlson in a few different categories right like he used to be among the league leader in blocks and he used to be among the defensive leaders in shots and now we're just kind of seeing a eric carlson who isn't doing those things so Obviously, while I'm not dropping Eric Carlson just yet, my fantasy hockey analyst senses are a tingling. I'm a little bit nervous about EK65, and I am not excited to be saying it. Lewis, that was all I had for you. Anything else we need to discuss before we wrap up the first episode of Short Shifts? No, uh, I think we will. We'll just let folks know that we will have uh, some more positive news in the near future when we examine some of those players whose shot rate deltas are uh, looking at improvement. So we have some excitement coming down the line. Thanks uh, for co-hosting this episode with me. It was so much fun. I can't wait for it to hit the airwaves. Uh, we also want to thank Natural Stat Trick, Yahoo, Hockey Reference, Fantrax, and Roto World uh, for assisting us in our research. Uh, thank you, fans of Keeping Carlson, for listening to us. Please give us a follow at AVG Time on Ice. I uh, just want to remind you to play smart and keep your shifts short. Bye, guys.